0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Evidence to Policy podcast series. Evidence informed decision making is critical to accelerate the achievement of important health goals, such as WHO's triple billion targets. That's 1 billion more people that are benefiting from universal health coverage, and 1 billion more people that are better protected from health emergencies, and 1 billion more people that are enjoying better health and well-being. We're now at a particularly crucial moment in time where the power of science needs to be urgently leveraged to support countries in their COVID 19 response and to guide them in rebuilding a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable post COVID 19 world. We're very pleased today to have Dr. Fadi El Jardali with us. Fadi El Jardali is, among others, Professor of Health Policy and Systems. He's director of the Knowledge to Policy K2P Centre, WHO Collaborating Centre for Evidence-Informed Policy and Practice. And he's co-director of the Centre for Systematic Reviews in Health Policy and Systems Research, SPARC. You're very welcome, Fadi.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Fadi, you've worked on the evidence to policy interface now for many years. What are your most important lessons learned on how to bridge the gap between evidence and policy?
1: Yeah, in fact, there's a there's many lessons learned so far. Uh, Let me start by the first one, which is really more to have a a receptive uh, uh, culture for the use of evidence. So certainly we must recognize that there is no one uh, size fits all approach when it comes to bridging the gap between evidence and policy. It is an iterative process, uh, and we need to look at different type of approaches and tools and and more tailored to, to context, uh, taken to consideration the target audience and the priority area uh, uh, in mind. So certainly part of creating that receptive culture for the use of evidence that we must demonstrate uh, the, the value to stakeholders, to, to policymakers, we need to create the demand and the value for evidence uh, through sharing successful and impactful stories. And this is what we have ha- had actually uh, you know, experienced over the last uh, uh, many years one thing under the receptive culture is really building trust uh, trust building is a, is a critical i would say overlooked steps in promoting the use of evidence in policy making and, and, and as you know the lack of trust in itself is a barrier for for having a you know uh, uh, more of of uh, uh, you know engaging uh, experience with policymakers and stakeholders and in a sustainable way so we really need to put a lot of efforts to build trust with policymakers and stakeholders, and certainly to to improve that culture, we need to invest in capacity. And when we say capacity is really, you know, increasing the use of evidence uh, requires definitely raising and improving capacity on the supply side in terms of capacity of generating and promoting the uptake of policy relevant evidence, but also creating and, and investing in capacity development on the demand side in terms of the demand for and use of evidence for uh, for uh, a policy decision. So this is really the first lesson I would say in terms of receptive culture. The second one is to to uh, policy relevant evidence and what that means that we must really and this is what we have learned. We must ensure that that the work that we're doing is relevant is uh, is uh, more uh, reflective of the needs and responding to the current needs and priorities of policymakers and stakeholders, and that's why we've learned to engage uh, uh, with policymakers in a, a priority-setting exercises, uh, making sure that we work on the uh, uh, you know the right priorities. What we call the three the three rights uh, uh, in place: the right priority, the right timing, and the right framing. So basically, this is this? It's very important to identify frame and time. Uh, the presentation of the evidence and I believe this is both an art and a science and a craft uh, and and certainly our experience has shown that having the right priority is not enough so we must ensure that we have the right framing the right timing we need to spot a, a strategic Windows of opportunities for action and also making sure that we foster partnership with many of the influencers, decision makers, service providers, and other stakeholders in terms of that. So this is really one, one uh, the second. Uh, I would say the second lesson. The third one is really to make sure that we have, a, you know, accessible and actionable evidence. So basically, the evidence need to be more tailored to to the existing context, leveraging on all the. Uh, 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 products and tools that's why we use the evidence-free policy we we uh, uh you know activated the rapid response uh, approach uh, to package contact contextualize evidence and and establish it like a one-stop shop that that is accessible to all the stakeholders and policymakers whenever they need uh, so that's why one of the one of the lessons learned in addition to what i mentioned is to make sure that we have the right platform uh, to promote that exchange and, and, and collaboration with, with stakeholders. You know, that's why we invested a lot in, in building capacity and conducting policy dialogues, because we believe that this is really an a, you know, important opportunity to bring all and to promote the collective problem-solving approach when it comes to priority areas. We, uh, over the last few years as well, we expanded the target audience to include the, the, uh, the voices of citizens, the, the voices of the public, uh, trying to promote uh, uh, and raise uh, raise the the more uh, and better understand the perspective of citizens whenever we actually advise in policy, uh, and more importantly, also we engage with media. We uh, more worked on advocacy strategy. We invested in data visualization, and and also uh, 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 you know more to uh, to amplify the work that would lead to better implementation the last lesson we've learned from this piece is the uh, the uh, you know impact is the driving force for whatever we do and I think this is one of the lessons that we had is that uh, w- when we say impact meaning we need to make sure that we are measuring it and that's something we're still trying to invest in terms of how we integrate monitoring and evaluation in the way we are actually uh, 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 you know uh, uh, promoting the use of evidence in in policy so that's why we continuously revise, update and tailor our approach uh, uh, in order to to more, uh, not only bridge evidence to policy, but also start to demonstrate the impact of this work.
0: And how have you, as a knowledge intermediary, handled situations in the past when decision makers simply wouldn't listen to or consider the best available evidence?
1: Now, I have to say, uh, you know, certainly there has been situations where, where uh, evidence was provided to decision-maker but it was not used to inform decision I think we acknowledge that and to be honest with you this is not uh, uncommon in the policy making uh, world where we must uh, I believe uh, recognize that evidence is only one uh, uh, one input critical input for sure but it's one input into decision-making process uh, 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 with politics resources values and vested interests. Uh, uh, play a very important role in influencing decisions. So we acknowledge that. Uh, oftentimes, we, to, to be honest with you, the way we have been dealing with this, we try to diversify uh, our products, uh, our messages, uh, the way we are disseminating in terms of the approaches, uh, but also and all this as part of, of, uh, of efforts to ensure that the, you know, the right evidence uh, reach the, the, the suitable policymakers and stakeholders uh we also try to intervene by by working and targeting intermediaries like uh i would say media the public uh uh, ngos society groups to create the pressure uh on on policy making institutions to act on the evidence and to take action so so yes sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't (laughs) but i but i have to say that when it doesn't work uh, we consider, you know, such failure as a learning opportunity, to be honest with you, to continuously revise and tailor our approaches to promoting the use of evidence. So, for instance, when we uh, when we worked around the topic of regulating uh, physician interaction with far- pharmaceutical industry, we were faced with a strong resistance from healthcare professionals. Uh, you know, in some cases, there's the vested interest, there's political factors that that took precedence over evidence. Now, this experience made us realize that, you know, policy dialogue alone may not always be sufficient to achieve impact. Uh, And that's why it prompted us more to start investing and developing more, uh, you know, in advocacy uh, advocacy arm to our center uh, uh, so we can really try to take this further. We started to realize that we need to conduct power analysis uh, prior to launching any of the products in order to anticipate the uh, I would say the degree of uh of resistance or engagement that we might fa- uh, that we might face uh, uh with the product that we are launching so so based on that we we uh, I would say uh, we try we would try to alter the general mood and general uh, and more get uh, public I would say public uh, support before we launch any 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 uh product by problematizing the issue in social media engaging the media and spreading the message raising awareness about that and this is another way to get into policymakers and trying to make sure that they are receptive to that we have we have certainly published and I, 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 we're still learning I have to say this is an ongoing uh, learning experience uh, it's a scalable work that we do and uh, and we have published in fact few studies where the evidence was not used in decision making and, and we use it as a case examples in our capacity building uh, workshops. so so yes we want we i think lear- learning from failures is as important as, as learning from successes and this is what we we try to learn do better uh, and and uh, innovate uh, in this whole field of of and the science of knowledge translation.
0: And Fadi, what has the covid-19 pandemic taught you about evidence informed decision making
1: well, we've, uh, to be honest with you, we've learned, uh, uh, first of all, I have to say that, that the COVID-19 pandemic, it, it really uh, uh, re the critical role of evidence in decision making. No doubt about that. It's a, it's a powerful reminder, I think, for everyone of how, how uh, a poorly informed decision uh, can cost governments many lives and, and millions of dollars. So uh, using the best available evidence and, and data certainly is integral to the whole, uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to public health in terms of making sure that we have efficient, effective, legitimate uh, and evidence-based response uh, uh, to, the, to the pandemic. So certainly, you know, the, the, uh, uh, in, in our case, uh, in the case of the K2P Center, and recognizing certainly the need for trustworthy source of evidence during the public health crisis. So our center launched the COVID-19 series initiative to inform the pandemic response. Uh, And in this response, we harnessed the best available evidence and data and made them, you know, accessible uh, to policymakers, to citizens, to healthcare providers, to healthcare institutions, to municipalities, upstream and downstream. But really before before I reflect on some of the key lessons learned, let me more of a briefly highlight. I would say the the uh, the dominating uh, uh, you know evidence scenes during the COVID nineteen, and we're starting to see it now with the new variant Omicron. You know, first of all, decision makers certainly are under tremendous pressure to respond urgently. So, which means you need to make sure that they are provided with real time evidence in a timely way. Second. The decision makers certainly, at the time of crisis, they are swamped of a of a tsunami of information, both reliable and unreliable, and this is what we're seeing with Omicron now. You know, there's not we don't have a lot of data yet, but you're starting to see decisions happening. <laughs> so, uh, and sometimes there's really quite a lot of information, and making it really challenging, uh, to, you know, to to remain updated with the most evolving evidence uh, base that are really of high quality. And for certain aspects of the pandemic, uh, I have to say that many decision makers, you know, is challenged by the uncertainty and the scarcity of research, uh, uh, particularly at the early early phases of the pandemic. So what that means in terms of the broad range of evidence, uh, uh, you know, certainly finding from research is important, but also other form of knowledge, such as local data, surveillance data, uh, guidelines, uh commissioned work things that's coming from national international agencies the report the media report all this are really an important source of information the question is what is the quality of that uh, you know uh, of that uh, evidence how we make sure that these are these are the right evidence how we make sure that because we've seen that evidence was scattered uh, around different databases uh, different websites even in the great literature uh, even some of the evidence was not easy to understand so At the time of crisis like COVID-19, you know, uh, I believe that, you know, organizations, uh, initiatives, network that support the use of evidence in policy can play an important role Uh, first in in synthesizing the best available evidence. So basically making sure that, you know, harness all the knowledge, making sure that this is really quite uh, relevant, contextualize and disseminate actionable evidence to target audience. uh, So basically turning the noise into music. Uh, uh because there was a lot of noise around the evidence that is really coming out promoting the trust in evidence and and countering misinformation this we've seen that a lot and providing a platform for cross-sectoral dialogue so basically breaking down the silos particularly at the level of public health crisis with all the engagement of different uh, uh you know uh, entities and sectors so what what has been learned so far from our end? first of all there's the need to activate rapid response services for sure. Time limitation is a critical barrier to evidence used during crisis. And this is we've we've learned the hard lesson of that. So in this regard, I would say that the rapid response service presents a key element in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Second, need to continuously follow up closely on how the COVID-19 situation unfolding. Meaning you cannot, at the knowledge translation platform, you cannot intervene at the early stage of the crisis and you leave it there. You need to follow through, You know, make sure to, to look at the changing nature of the crisis, but also responding to that because priorities and needs change uh, during the crisis. Uh, again, given the scale, like what we have seen in the COVID-19, it certainly is necessary to reach out and cater to the needs of the wider audiences beyond government and policymakers. And I have to say, before COVID-19, our target our target sectors or entities was mostly policy-making institutions and ministries. And now we're more working with the municipalities, reaching to healthcare providers, to influencers, to citizens, to society groups, to religious figures, uh, 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 and communities that we believe that they can be real drivers of change third we definitely engage with a broader range of evidence and again as i mentioned to you that when we say what constitutes evidence in a crisis setting is certainly broader than what we see through the research generated through scientific methods which means we need to be i would say more vigilant uh, to uh, to uh, uh, to make sure that we look at of course we need to exercise transparency and explicit criteria of how we're looking at the evidence but certainly there are other sources of evidence beyond uh, beyond just only research generated through scientific methods and we need to pay attention to that despite their limitation certainly uh, in the time of pandemics and what we have learned that uncertainty of the evidence is not an excuse for inaction So there's no perfect evidence here, meaning during pandemic, there is a lot of uncertainties that must be acknowledged. Yet we learned that we need to navigate those uncertainties and unpack them and make the messages clear and loud. Certainly also what we've learned is that how to communicate the evidence uh, during the crisis. So it's certainly we scaled up how we do visualization, how we use info, infographics, how we engage with media, how we leverage on different and multiple channels of dissemination, and how we also partner and 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 harness the strengths of other complementary evidence networks. So there are a lot of networks globally and regionally that working very well. So basically, you know, public health specialists uh guideline developer epidemiologist data uh, analyst evaluation expert all of them really uh, uh, you know uh, play a very important uh, role to play so we've learned now that we need to make sure that we need to learn better how to bridge the different entities uh, uh, and and make sure there's no fragmented and delayed engagement particularly what we believe that when we bring all our resources together when we harness all our strengths we can Easily and nicely and efficiently complement our work, and we can have been more uh, uh, impactful. So, so certainly we know uh, uh, that that uh, uh, you know. Th- uh, also, I would say maybe to end with that uh, that with two additional points, we've learned as well that we've seen a lot of deficiencies in the existing system when it comes to response. So there was a lot of silent uh, silent approach, I would say. Uh, there has been challenges in activating multi-sectoral collaboration at the level of the of the uh, uh, response we've seen some successes of how different sectors are working together but we've learned now to advise other sectors beyond health the question is really how we can sustain that beyond covid-19 so uh, uh, and the i wanna end by saying that certainly the pandemic uh, a more of a Created, and I mentioned it at the, at the, at the global summit, it really created a huge appetite for, for evidence, uh, to guide decision-making at all levels. I think the question and the challenge that we have now is really how to leverage this demand for evidence and to translate this into a strengthened institutional structure mechanism and an arrangement, how we can really effectively prepare for the next public health crisis, how we can invest in the institutionalization of evidence informed decision-making. I believe this is a necessity and a prerequisite to effectively uh, uh, and efficiently uh, provide a, a rapid response. Uh, again, we're learning and we're hoping we're going into, into uh, that, that direction, but this is some of the lessons that we have learned from our end.
0: And what are your three pieces of advice? If a country wants to embark on the journey of institutionalizing evidence-informed decision making,
1: well, you know, like many things, but let me start by answering. I would say why institutionalization is very important. Why institutionalizing the use of evidence? First of all, you know, you know, evidence use should be part of, of, or should be an integral part of any institution. But also we need to make sure that the, the structure, the process, the system, the existing norm uh, in any institution support the routine use of evidence in decision making. So basically evidence is routinely used in decision making, meaning we are we it's taken now for granted that this is the national and the obvious obvious way of decision making and policy. making, And it's not the exception. That's what we would like to get to in moving forward. So what's, what's my advice here if he, any country wants to embark on the journey of institutionalization? Well, first of all, I have to say that we, we, uh, you know, it, we, it, it, it's important to acknowledge there's no one, uh, one blueprint here or no one size fits all approach. So it depends on different fa- factors, context, infrastructure, process, et cetera. But to be practical about it, I would say it's import- first, it's important uh, for the country to conduct situation analysis to understand who's doing what why where understanding the political and the policy uh, context the demand and supply and also to assess capacity for the use of evidence so this is more of a you know a starting uh, a starting thing in order to get it going so so uh, uh, now certainly uh, the, the second i would say is really countries need to recognize that you know institutionalization uh, require efforts uh, at both supply side and demand side in you know, a supply side at the level of universities knowledge translation platforms researchers experts but also at the demand side in terms of government and policy making institution across the board in different sectors uh, at the same time we require also uh, uh, efforts at the level of intermediaries uh, when it comes to media and civil society but this is an important area for for, for institutionalization so when we speak, when uh, you know, when we more uh, let me like when we break down the whole element of the uh, uh, you know institutionalizing the use of evidence, uh, we need to really focus on what needs to change at the level of supply side, and also what needs to be changed at the level of demand side. And I think we need to be very clear on that. The third is important for countries to invest not only uh, in enhancing the knowledge and skills, but also addressing the attitudes and strengthening the institutional structure processes for the use of evidence. So basically what I'm I'm trying to say here is that while while building skills and knowledge, meaning capabilities around the use of evidence uh, and how to use it in in policy, it's really one way of doing it. But, but, uh, But if we want to institutionalize, we should address the attitudes toward the evidence, meaning how the evidence can add value, to to the policy processes, uh, uh, the expectation, how how the how we change institutional incentives, how we can change existing processes, norms and structures so we can make this as an integral part of decision making. I think we need to do more, more work on that. So and I, I have to say the literature still is not conclusive, to be honest with you. About what needs to be in place in order to to uh, to make sure that this is part of a regular and consistent part of the decision uh, uh, making, there are certainly a number of building blocks. Uh, uh, but I would say, absolutely, policymakers, decision makers should have the capability and motivation. Champions and leaders should be there. Relationships should exist by different groups, uh, demand side and the supply side. The existing structure, system, and process should facilitate the use of evidence we should have the right resources in terms of material human financial and at the end we need to make sure that we have an enabling and receptive culture for the use of evidence so basically you know we need to focus on what needs to change inside the government Uh, we need to make sure we build the habit of ongoing engagement with people outside the government And, you know, we need to make sure that institutionalizing a practice uh, uh, meaning of government officials seeking external input. uh, uh, You know, you know, yes, it's good for uh, for government to start seeking external input, external advice, uh, you know, uh, to partner with evidence uh, leads to with knowledge translation uh, platform uh, to make to make sure that there is a trusting relationship that exists because governments cannot do it. And that's what we need to actually also uh, create that that uh, environment, that culture for for engaging with with the with and taking external input into the decision making process. So this is just you know, more of a of a brief reflection of where I see this actually countries can do. And I believe, you know, for the countries that are starting around those elements, uh, uh, I believe that they will be really much ahead of others in terms of integrating uh, and institutionalizing the use of evidence in the way they make decisions.
0: And finally, Fadi, would you have any additional advice for our listeners that are interested in promoting evidence-informed decision-making?
1: Well, you know, as I said, the the COVID-19 pandemic uh, really, uh, you know, created uh, uh, an unprecedented appetite for promoting, uh, uh, the use of evidence and, and, uh, and promoting the whole thing about, you know, policy making in general. So this is a momentum here, uh, and, 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 uh, and we've seen this, this is momentum is being carried out, uh, carried forward, I would say by, by global events, uh, and certainly the most recent one, uh, as you know, being the evidence to policy summit by the, and, and also the event call for action which I believe serve as a critical stepping stone towards institutionalizing the use of evidence in decision making. This is a major milestone. This is a major opportunity, and we don't want to miss this opportunity. Uh, uh, that's why I say it's a, what we have learned a lot. Uh, we've learned a lot through the crisis. We've learned a lot over the last many years. Uh, I believe we have a valuable opportunity, and we have to actually make use of that opportunity. That's why we need to act uh, 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 now. But but, you know, what I wanted to say at the end, I think we, uh, you know, uh, you know, as researchers, as scientists, uh, uh, as citizens, as clinicians, policymakers, legislators, journalists, funders, I think all of them have an important role in promoting and strengthening and institutionalizing the use of evidence in decision making. If we want if we want a greater equity, if we want greater social justice, if we want better health for people, that's the way to go. And this will actually benefit all, all uh, countries and all generations to come. So, what I wanted to end to say that this is the time, to be honest with you, to all, for all of us to, to uh, rethink, uh, to reinterpret our role and institutional strategies, and also determine the kinds of structures, mechanisms, and arrangements that, that must be in place to enhance and institutionalize the use of evidence in decision making. So certainly we want to have a much more healthier, sustainable and better future. We want to have a better, better health, but also we need to make sure that we keep working in making evidence and data available in making sure that they are accessible. Uh, we keep working in responding to priorities and needs that are really out there and making sure working on the existing structures, norms and systems in order to to uh, to integrate and sustain and institutionalize and and the use of evidence in policy to become the normal way of making decisions not the
0: exception. Great, thanks so much Fadi. I really enjoyed our conversation. Those were exciting insights that you've shared with us. And I wish you the best of luck with all your important projects and efforts to promoting evidence-informed decision-making globally and in the Eastern Mediterranean region in particular.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me.
0: On behalf of the WHO Evidence-Informed Policy Network, Evipnet, I'd like to thank you all for listening to this episode. We hope this podcast was of interest to you and please do stay tuned for the next episode. We'll have Dr. John Reeder, WHO Director, Research for Health, elaborating on WHO's critical work in enhancing the systematic and transparent use of evidence, global and local decision making. See you then.